Ayn Rand once wrote that America is the greatest and in its founding principles the only moral country in the history of the world. And that is true because it is the only time in history that men tried to form a society with a government that would protect their rights to be free and live their own lives. The tragedy is that they didn't have the philosophical understanding of what rights meant and the attack on rights started immediately and eventually corroded the whole philosophical understanding of what America stands for. Hey everybody, welcome to the Daily Objective. That was uh, obviously John Ridpath. Uh, so we're going to be talking about John Ridpath today, the uh, late, great objectivist horseman, as I think of him and the other sort of uh, old school, original, you know, compromisers shake when they hear that these guys coming, the objectivist horseman. John Ridpath uh, probably most famously participated in a debate alongside Leonard Peikoff against two democratic socialists. This has uh, been on YouTube for a while, so many of you have probably seen it. And also uh, John Ridpath's lectures that I've uh, consumed have really helped me think clearly and to understand objectivism and to understand philosophy and to understand a lot of things. I am here with, uh, you know, usually I've got a joke right now. <laughs> I'm just gonna say I'm here with Mark Pellegrino. How are you, how are you feeling? Good. I'm a little sad that John's no longer with us. Um, he he was a real inspiration to me. Uh, his, his like like you, I listened to his tapes on the founders and the Declaration of Independence, and he not only brought clarity and information to me uh, in historical information in a way that was very original, but the clear emotional connection he had to the material. Um, sunk that information even further into me and made it memorable. I remember when he was reciting Patrick Henry's give me liberty or give me death speech. And you could hear his voice breaking with emotion. He could barely contain himself as he painted the very vivid picture of Patrick Henry standing up in the midst of that assembly and pounding his fist on the desk and proclaiming those immortal words for, for all of us. Um, he really brought that time and those people and those ideas to life for me in a way that I don't know anybody else has. And it's a real, it's a real shame that he's no longer a voice for us to, to turn to. I mean, a, 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 he won't be producing any new stuff for us to, to turn to in times like this. Yeah. Um, now his, uh, his lectures, uh, he did a course specifically on religion that I found very helpful. I listened to about five or six years ago and um, he, he, as I recall, he began by asking the largely objectivist audience, what do you think is worse, Western religion or Eastern? And, or like, which is worse as in more antithetic to human life or, or whatever, however he framed it. And the crowd, I think unanimously voted, of course, Western religions are worse. Just, just look at all the bodies, you know, look at all the bloodshed and the theocracies and all of that. And um, I, I suggest people go listen to the course. Uh, I'll give you the sort of a gist of it that he, he sort of explores the issue and uh, kind of returns to that question by the end of the course. And I, I left with the impression that 
having a systematic philosophy in the form of a Western religion like Christianity, Islam or Judaism, as bad as it is, it is sort of a cut above. It is sort of a step above just um, sort of incoherence that is largely seen in the Eastern uh, philosophical, if you can even call it philosophical world. And I would point to um, a lot of what's taken place in parts of the world that have that have had like, you know, oriental philosophy. And yeah, maybe there's not as many genocides committed in the name of religion, but how many people have failed to pursue happiness? How many people have basically committed suicide or lived a life of uh, lethargy and misery? I guess uh, to take one sort of contrast, like let's look at India in the last hundred years, like from India from the 40s to the 90s, hardly a Western Christian or Islamic country, right? They separated from the Muslims and that became Pakistan. But you look at India, they were starving and in misery for a good half century, not because they, they couldn't grow enough food, not because natural resources were scarce and not because we weren't sending them enough cash. But it was illegal to pursue happiness. It was illegal to produce and to manufacture and to trade as much as you want to. They were minimalists. They were influenced by Gandhi and other Oriental mystics that uh, frowned upon what we call capitalism. And uh, is, you know, is life in India in those decades, is that better than life in Pakistan? I'm not sure. But uh, it's just an example of how philosophy um, even when it's not, you know, explicitly like imposing religion, you know, religious beliefs on you, uh, a type of incoherent uh, irrationality can can be very detrimental in many forms. And if it's not explicitly philosophical, uh, such as the Oriental mystics, if it's the fact that it's not an explicit philosophy makes it even more difficult to sort of identify and correct. Uh, so that's uh, that's something. I, I mean, I'll there. play the devil's advocate while sure. while I can appreciate his notion of integration and and where that leads a culture. It seems like any culture that takes religion seriously, as seriously enough to embed it in the laws of the land, is going to be a um, a lagging culture. It's going to fall behind. It's going to be primitivist, and I think you can see that when Christianity was dominant. Um, was dominant in Europe uh, when when the religions embraced rational philosophy and used the rational philosophy as a means of integrating their own religion and trying to understand the world as the Muslims did early on with Aristotle and then as Aquinas did with Aristotle um, the 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 integrative faculty I think of the religion made it easier for these philosophies to assimilate into them and to then be dispersed through the culture so it might have been an easier delivery mechanism for some of the things that we admire in Western culture, but certainly religion itself is is the issue. Although I would prefer I prefer religionists who are integrated to skeptics today, for example. But I would prefer even a Buddhist who has a concept, a type of philosophy and approach to life over over a skeptic as well, even though his philosophy might not be in the same organizational level as as say um, a Christian or a Catholic. I think uh, a topic like this can be seen from many angles. And also when we speak about a Buddhist, I mean, there's a, a guy in Silicon Valley who meditates and then there's the guy who lights himself on fire in, somewhere in the Orient. And there's the Buddhist who never leaves the, the monastery his whole life. 
Um, I just saw a a post, a, like news out of Athens, actually. I don't know what religion this person was, but a monk in his 80s just died having never met a woman. He uh, His mother died while he was being born about 80 some years ago. He spent his life in a monastery. I don't know what religion this was. He might have been Greek Orthodox or it might have been some funky Eastern thing. But um, imagine that. Like, uh, is that, you know, is that... Is that type of approach to the world? First, I mean, it's obviously, it, I think it's obviously like a form of child abuse to not have a baby ever be held by a female when it's orphaned, right? It's just so much wrong with that. But that sort of life of um, self-deprivation and just never leaving the place you were born, I mean, is that much, is that better than uh, being forced to be religious at, like by, uh, like under Islamic law or something like that? It, it, this can be approached from, from many aspects. Uh, I think, so I think uh, Dr. Ridpath's point was that um, the in, sort of incoherence of the Orientals is uh, arguably worse than the integration of the Western religions. But, you know, the best person to express that obviously is him in his recorded course which I tried to do, uh, uh, do justice to here uh, just now. I haven't um, heard it. I'll have uh, to listen to it. Oh, it's, uh, it might, it might uh, change the way you think as well. I mean, it certainly influenced me because I, like the audience of that course, all uh, just assumed Western religion is the worst of the religions. Um, but he, he got me to think about it a little clearly. Now, obviously, we know him from his famous debate uh, alongside Leonard Peikoff. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's definitely got legend status, I think, uh, uh, just the, the fieriness of it and just the uh, the emotional charge um, <laughs> and uh, that uh, John Ridpath has in that debate is just um, it's just really something to uh, to experience. Uh, to what, what I what I loved particularly about that debate was, I mean, it's always fantastic for me to see ideological socialists melt down in public. Uh, maybe I'm a bit of a sadist in that respect, but to watch the, those two prominent socialists melt down and resort to some of the, some of the cheapest, most adolescent <laughs> argument tricks in the book was, was quite a pleasure. But to see John Ridpath uh, sitting there with Leonard Peikoff off in the wings while the socialists were talking, smoking a pipe, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hanging out, smoking a pipe like he's in his den. Um, it, it was just like, it, they, they, they presented such opposite pictures, you know, both he and Leonard, even though they were passionate when they spoke, they were just cool as cucumbers and completely unaffected by the insanity that was up there at the podium when they were sitting down. So I, lo I loved seeing that. It was, you know, it was like the great boxer who gets in the ring, knocks somebody out in one punch and then steps off and finishes his lunch. It was. Yeah. Um, it's pretty amazing and also reminds me of a time I, I vaguely remember. You might remember a bit more when people were smoking everywhere. Um, and uh, back in the 80s, uh, I think, in my opinion, one of the best uh, underrated Schwarzenegger movies, The Running Man. It, it takes place in a dystopian 2007 and everything's gone to hell and everyone's poor. But you, you, when, you, when you go to the airport in The Running Man, they just walk in. They walk right past security with a cigarette in their hand. And they get right on the plane. So uh, is, is uh, which, which is the real dystopia, you might ask. Um, <laughs> That's great. We got uh, Jonathan with the super chat. Thank you. Sorry you couldn't be here, Jonathan. Uh, I know you probably have a lot to, to say about um, our lost teacher, 
uh, LMH, thank you for the super chat and Mary Aline, of course, thank you. Um, now, uh, so he, uh, so about a year ago or two years ago, ARI um, posted on YouTube, John Ridpath discussing Marxism, like the philosophical roots of Marxism, which I think, which what I took from it is Hegel basically is kind of like, he, there's no, there's no uh, Marx without a Hegel. Uh, like Hegel, like every, like uh, if you were living in Marx's time, going to school with Marx, a, a saying might have been, we're all Hegelians now. And as Ridpath explained, I think he was saying that the argument was, is there more to say in philosophy after Hegel? Like, or is Hegel it? Like that was the debate. Is there anything left to add? And um, Marx, in my understanding, and believe me, this is not to be taken as a, an authoritative statement. Uh, Marx, he like took, Hegel's sort of conscious universe and turned it into like conscious classes. So instead of like having this big idea with a capital I universe that has a, a sort of um, a, a, a goal to become self-conscious, rather he, it made, he made it, the proletariat has this journey to become self-conscious and to overthrow the, uh, the ruling capitalists. And then of course the communists came along, they took, Marx's prediction, and they said, rather than wait for this to happen, let's impose it. So they slammed it onto the Russians, onto the Cubans, onto the Chinese. And so even well, though they, Marx... It's, it's not like they, they could wait for it. They could, it, it, it wasn't happening. So they felt they had to usher it in. Yeah, they, uh, I mean, uh, it, it was, I mean, Marx had said, you know, capitalism will raise everyone's standard of living. And then the proletariat will realize, hey, you know, this is stupid. Why are we still listening to these factory owners and they'll just take over the factories. But meanwhile, the, uh, they lost patience, I guess, is how uh, you might put it. The communists, they went to places that were never capitalists in the first place. They went to some of the more third, second and third world uh, places like Russia and China and Cuba and others. And they, they basically tried to in, induct, induce the process like, like you induce a, a birth when a woman is nine months pregnant. They they tried to install industrialization and then bring about a, a revolution. It was very ridiculous. But Jesus Christ, the power of philosophy is strong. Do you see what it drives people to do, folks? Um, as I'm getting excited here, I'm reminded of how excited John Ridpath uh, would get speaking. He was like a child uh, excitedly telling you about something that he just found out or his favorite toy, his favorite show. Right. He was like like John Ridpath doesn't even need an audience. He, he could just uh, talk about something that he's passionate about. That's true. I just keep thinking of his little verbal quirks. You know, I, I don't, uh, are, are you just a comedian or do you act too? I, I do a little bit of acting. So, you know, you know, and I know you're a mimic too. I know you love to do uh, Ben Shapiro. You do, a very, you do a very good Ben Shapiro. <laughs> uh, but, but as an actor, I always sort of listen to people's um, verbal quirks and you might too just because that's the way you are. And he, 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 he had these verbal quirks uh, when he got excited. Um, I, 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 don't, I feel like I'm giving a eulogy, but in like the worst possible way, but um, where he would, you know, uh, it would be sort of an exhalation where he'd say, I can't think, oh, oh, you know? <laughs> Every time I heard his, you know, his thoughts punctuated by that, nobody here who's, who hasn't heard him talk is going to really um, 
think that's funny. Or maybe they think I'm dishonoring his memory by saying it, but I just thought it was a cute quirk that, that it, it actually it made me feel a little bit closer to, to him. Yeah. I mean, I've done, you know, Leonard Peikoff is, is, is alive and well, I've done like impressions of him in a, in a very careful way. Like I want to sort of capture the essence of how he talks. I've done, I've, I've uh, emulated Ayn Rand the way she talks for, a, uh, for like, for artistic reasons. And it's, uh, it's, you know, I hope it, it all comes off as, um, you know, as Respect. artistic, respectful and artistic. Like hey. we are artists. We're trying to capture the essence of a person. So um, it takes, uh, it takes courage to sort of try and step into like what makes this person who they are in, in kind of uh, their, their external mannerisms, the way that uh, John Ridpath, um, uh, well, like one of his sort of mannerisms that struck me is that he talks so excitedly that he forgets to breathe almost like he, he has to stop and go like you ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, um, I feel like I should be talking more substantively about his, his work um, and not about his, his um, verbal quirks, but it's been so long since I've listened to John and all my tapes are back home in Los Angeles. Um, so I don't, I don't know that I can specifically pinpoint, you know, uh, specifics in his lectures that were so enlightening to me uh, maybe you can maybe you've just uh, you've just listened to him more recently than i have i well i have and by the way his his work has been digitalized so uh if you want to if you can't wait to get back home and get your cassette tape player out you can uh buy it or or stream some of it on youtube and all of that um, he, uh, yeah, his lectures on religion definitely shaped the way I think about the topic a few years ago in, as I was learning more about objectivism at large and also his recent, recently unearthed or recently advertised lectures on Marxism. I'm I'm looking forward to listening to more of his stuff. I've heard he's very passionate about the founding fathers in his work, but, uh, that's not an, not a part of his work. I've listened to that much of, um, an, a, a thing he would say a lot is if you like if you like, you know, you could put it this way, if you like. So I've, uh, I've actually found myself uh, using that phrase at times. Um, but, you know, when I'm as an orator, I'm sort of a, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm almost like a, like a parody of an orator. Like I use little uh, phrases and stuff as though I'm like playing a character. So uh, he's an influence. He's absolutely an influence. It amazes um, me that somebody who comes from Canada, I, I can't say they have the, the same uh, tradition with respect to, orientation to the state that you know Americans just sort of have in their in their bones so so being exposed to that Canadian way of looking at things all of your life it uh it amazes me that you can rise above it and and think contrarily to what the culture has been telling you but uh but he was able to do that and isn't Peacock also Canadian yeah so two two of the of the of the best thinkers I think that the world has turned out Canadian. My wife would love that because she's from Canada, and every time every time there's a celebrity or somebody great who's Canadian, she has to point that out to me. Yeah, nice. Uh, Ankar Gatte, I believe, is also Canadian. And wow. uh, you know what? You know, I'm going to say this since we're uh, praising uh, objectivist Canadians. I'm going to say Russia and Alaska where Canada used to be connected, I've heard it said, like by a bridge. It's been speculated that the Native Americans got here by walking across that bridge. So uh, let's just say Russia and Canada are somewhat connected. So really all great objectivists basically come from Canada. Of course, I'm, I'm uh, being a little bit um, 
hyperbolic. But um, but there is something about John Ridpath, whereas the other Canadians, like you could sort of, uh, they've got a little reservedness to them in a, in a in a certain way. Like John Ridpath is the most, like he would come off as the most red blooded, you know, salt of the earth American ever. Like you expect him to have a rifle uh, within arm's reach just by his demeanor and stuff like that. So yeah, he truly is. Uh, he, he truly uh, comes to mind when I think of like an all American um, lover of liberty and all of that. So yeah pretty amazing yeah he is awesome mm -hmm. sorry also, my, dog, my dog's tail is wagging in his sleep and you I gotta you gotta capture these moments yeah absolutely um now i so from what i understand john ridpath got alzheimer's which is uh very tragic obviously um for someone who actively was using his mind so much and clearly was so passionate about ideas and making use of the mind. Um, it's just, it's very, very sad, obviously, when somebody is sort of, I don't know much about Alzheimer's, but kind of loses some access to use it. Like their mind is weakened or their memory is, is faulty. Like something involving the mind is one of the symptoms of Alzheimer's. So it, I can't think of anything, anything worse for someone whose passion in life is thinking and using his mind. So very, very sad that he, he had to suffer that. I think it's super complicated. Definitely memory issues are a part of it, but also mood shifts, uh, probably because you're losing control of your consciousness and, and don't know who people are in your life anymore. So everything sort of just strikes you as a, a new phenomenon, but there's also, um, there's also, um, elements of delusion that are, where you actually hallucinate in, in some respects, I think your perceptual faculty is, is uh, pretty messed up by whatever it is that causes this disease. I, and I've read about that through uh, in, in, in literature. So I don't, I don't know how true, how true it is, but. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So we both you, know, I know you less could, than you about you, this. You could, you could see a rug on the floor and think it's a hole in the ground. That's how your, your brain can't process the sensory input anymore. And that's pretty terrifying. Yeah. Very sad that he had to endure that type of uh pain um uh now he certainly lived a joyous life from everything that we've seen and he his work has certainly helped a lot of people and will help many people uh achieve joy um so i'm uh yeah this is uh one of those times when uh someone i never met and uh, you know that someone i never met never knew um you know uh passes away and i it feels like a personal loss I've had that experience with artists, you know, with, uh, you know, famous musicians or whatever it was who, uh, you know, who I felt like I knew or I felt like they, they, their life mattered to me. And uh, this is one of those times, uh, even though, you know, I, I, I never met him and probably would never cross paths with him. Um, it, his, uh, his passing feels like a personal loss. And I imagine a lot of people watching feel the same. So um yeah this uh this was a good this was our type of um kind of eulogizing like it's it's in the spirit of the daily objective we're called upon to discuss a topic neither of us are experts on and it's a little <laughs> bit kind of a mixture of funny and and serious and uh imp improvised but also kind of fetching stuff we have collected over our lives so i think uh this is our version of uh of a, a reverent eulogy for someone that matters to us.
Whatever it is, John, it's sincere. Mr. Ridpath, thank you for your, yes. for your words. Thank you, Dr. Slash Mr. Ridpath. Thank you, John Ridpath. Uh, thank you, Mary Aline, for the super chat. Um, she is, uh, she's always been uh, supporting us, helping us, you know, do, do what we enjoy, helping us uh, hopefully um, help other people find a good philosophy for living on earth. And who knows, maybe the next John Ridpath or the next Leonard Peikoff, uh, maybe the next Ayn Rand gigantic uh, genius is on the way in the future. And who knows if they might first discover that they like philosophy because they happen to catch a, an episode of The Daily Objective. You cannot predict these things. And again, thank you, Marilene, for the last minute super chat. With that, uh, I think we're ready to jump over to Clubhouse. So thank you, Mark. Thank, thank you, you every, everyone that watched. Um, I'm actually going to share a very quick, uh, video once more. And with that, see you on clubhouse, Rozzy, wait for the video to end and we will end it after this. And My first reading at Atlas Shrugged, I had not read, I had a degree in engineering, I had not read, I wouldn't say, 10 books of, of any kind of fiction at all in my life. And I was brought to my attention after I had graduated an engineering degree, and uh, I fell in love with Francisco D'Anconia. I didn't know there was a philosophy in there. I didn't know what was behind it all. But that guy, who's got the weight of the world on his shoulders and is playing the role that he's playing and is suffering from the abuse that he's suffering from, from all around him and, and his family business is being destroyed by these venal people. And he is sitting on the floor of his hotel suite rug playing marbles in the sunshine. I mean, when I saw that, I said, that's it. Life can be like that. And that's the first reading. Beautiful.